You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. I heard one preacher say this week that everything that's going on in the world has made his introduction preparation a lot easier. I don't have to convince you that we in America on June 14th, 2020 have a mess. A deep, divided mess. I don't have to convince you that we in America, on June 14th, 2020, need to hear from God. I don't have to convince you that we in America, on June 14th, 2020, need to submit to what God says. And I don't have to convince you that unless we do hear from God and submit to what He says, that we have absolutely no hope of making any progress in fixing the mess that we're in. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us on both fronts. We beg you to speak to us and to give us understanding of what you're saying and then hearts that are eager to humbly submissively even if certainly at first uncomfortably walk in what you say. Pray Father you give us hope. Hope to follow Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. For our text this morning, I have chosen Colossians 1, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You may be saying, Tommy, how many times are you going to preach this text? We already know that text. You're constantly quoting this text. But the question we've got to ask this morning is not, do we know this text? The question I've got to ask myself, and the question I've got to ask you, is are we walking in this text? Let's turn our hearts to Colossians 1, verse 28. We 
proclaim him. If you look back to verse 27, you will see clearly that the him is Christ. You'll also notice that from the context in verse 27, that Paul's heart is declaring the heart of God to bring together from among the Gentiles, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, a people for Himself. We proclaim Him. Three words, but I want those words to drive our ministry. I want those words to drive my life. We proclaim Him. Why does First Baptist exist? Answer, we proclaim Him. What is First Baptist up to at this strategic time in human history? We proclaim Him. What is First Baptist going to do to respond to the civil and political and relational unrest in this town and in our country? We proclaim Christ. And not just with words, but that we would proclaim Christ with words, but also with our lives. What side of the cultural divide are you on? And here's our answer. We proclaim Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ doesn't merely have the solution. Jesus Christ is the solution. And Jesus Christ is the reason we care about finding a solution. Jesus Christ is the reason we care about the truth. Jesus Christ is the reason that we care about justice. Jesus Christ is the reason we love people. Jesus Christ is the only way for a human being to be reconciled to God. And therefore, Jesus Christ is the only hope of humans being reconciled to each other. In Jesus, we will find the wisdom we need to confront the challenges we are facing. And only in Jesus are we going to find the grace to seek these solutions and to proclaim Him in love and to forgive each other all along the way. So what are you going to do, First Baptist? The answer is, we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ. The solution to our problems is straightforward. But I hope you don't hear me saying that that means that it's easy. The answer to our problems really is, Jesus Christ descended. Jesus Christ perfect. Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ risen. Jesus Christ ascended. Jesus Christ coming back again. But here's what I want us to see. It's not enough for us to know these facts. That gospel, we need that gospel to land on us. We need that gospel to humble us. We, we need that gospel to take roots in, in the depths of our hearts. This gospel must change us or else this gospel won't save us. Since Genesis 3, through the time of the wandering in the wilderness, through the time of the early church, through the founding of the United States, through the days of slavery and then Jim Crow, right up to present day, plenty of people have known this gospel Preach this gospel. 
but have not been transformed by this gospel. There's something bad wrong when, when people could meet together and praise the name of Jesus and then go home and beat their slaves. The Southern Baptist Convention exists because in the South there were a group of Baptists who wanted to make sure their missionaries could own slaves. This is why the Southern Baptist Convention was formed. Their preaching was orthodox. But somehow the implications of the gospel didn't land the way they were meant to land. And if that can happen to them, it certainly can happen to us. 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the sacrifice to take away our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. We have to proclaim Jesus Christ. And keep proclaiming Jesus Christ. To ourselves and to each other. Until all of Christ takes root in all of us. We proclaim Him. We proclaim Him admonishing every man. Admonishing is a strong word. To admonish someone is to rebuke them, to warn them. To, it's confrontational. It's a warning to tell people to avoid doing something or to stop doing something that's wrong. Think about what this means. When the Holy Spirit says, here's what my people do. They proclaim Him. They admonish every man. If this takes root, this will change our lives. Think about this. If it is God's will for His people to be rebuked, then it is God's will for His people to receive rebuke. It is, it is God's will for us to live in a posture of repentance. The right posture for believers is a posture of repentance. Mark 1.15, Jesus summarizes His ministry with three words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. If, if you would like to live in relationship with Jesus, and I hope, I hope people are here saying, I, I would like to live in a relationship with Jesus. Then prepare yourself to live with Jesus, putting His finger on sin, confronting it, exposing it painfully, sometimes embarrassingly, and calling you to repent. Prepare for Jesus 
to confront you in your sin. This, this, is, this is what we, we ought to expect. R- repentance is to the Christian life what flour is to bread. This is our posture before the Lord. We are repenting people. We are the people who, who ask God, search me and know me. Try my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. So, so here's my question. Since that's the case, why is it so dangerous and so unpopular, and I'm talking about in the church, to open up the Bible and to get specific about sin? I, I can tell you, every faithful preacher feels the pressure not to get very specific about sin. Now, let's just be clear. We can make great names for ourselves. We have every audience's permission to be bold and prophetic and specific about the sins of those people out there. But everybody knows there are some things, preacher, you ought to just leave alone in here. We don't have that option. I don't have that option. I tell you, if you want to share the gospel with your neighbors, like you, 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 you feel it. Watch how Jesus shares the gospel. Go read in John 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he says, ma'am, why don't you go call your husband? And you feel it. When you are sharing the gospel with people, it would, be, it would be awful easy for me right now not to get too specific about sin. You don't have that option. There's no option. This text is calling you. It's calling me. It's calling us to proclaim Christ. Admonishing every man. We have to tell each other the truth. But notice, verse 28, that we are called to admonish every man. This text is a call to admonish, to rebuke, to call sin what it is, and to look, look who our target audience is. Everybody. This is a timely word. It just reminds me that we have, we have very complex issues going on. But the Word of God is up for the task. Who are you willing to rebuke? Think about what this means. It means that Christians are not. We, we cannot be blindly tied to any human, certainly political agenda. Who do we admonish? Every man. 
Every human being. We don't put blinders on so that we don't see the sin of the people who are on our side. And we use a magnifying glass or a microscope to look at the sin of the people on the other side. We are called to admonish every human being. Every person. How many people involved in the issues of our day need to bring their lives under the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Every single person. Which side needs to repent? This is not a cop-out. This is not me just trying to find a way I can just please everybody. Just stand on the fence and everybody is, gets to say please. This is where we seek to stand by Jesus' side and speak helpfully and honestly, truthfully, boldly, compassionately into all sides. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. Never have I sat down with a couple who's having problems in their marriage and found that 100% of the problems lies with one partner in the marriage. Never. I've never been called in to to help with the dispute among Christians. And turned to somebody and said, this is 100% your fault. Never. But but notice how the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to train us to talk to each other. It, It seems like the only thing that people can agree about in 2020 is that the problem is over there. The problem is, is with my enemies. The, 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 one group says the problem in America is systemic racism in law enforcement and the larger culture. And, and another group says, no, the problem is irresponsible behavior that makes police intervention necessary in the first place. But everybody's saying the problem is with those people. Admonish them. Rebuke them. But look at the text. Who do we admonish? Who needs Jesus to rule over them? Who quite often needs rebuked? Who needs to be recreated? So that every thought, every desire, every action is reflects Christ. The answer to that question is not those idiots over there. We all need to be confronted. We all need to have our thinking corrected often. We, we all need to be conformed to the truth. I, I hope you can hear the power in what Paul is saying in, in this text. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can create an environment where real unbiased dialogue and blind justice are actually possible. And, and make no mistake, God commands blind justice. Leviticus 19.15 You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Deuteronomy 1. Listen to what God told the leaders of Israel. Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen or the alien who is with him. Even if somebody's not a citizen of the people of Israel, God tells Israel, 
You, you judge them with justice. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for judgment is God's. Proverbs 18.5 To show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. John chapter 7 Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Acts 10, opening his mouth, Peter said, I must certainly under, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. First Peter, First Timothy chapter 5, speaking of times when a pastor needs to be corrected, but I think the principle clearly applies to everyone. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles with out bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Can you see how much we need to hear this in our day and time? Like, I think about this. There are so many examples of this. One, one that comes to mind right now is that it is, if you would say something positive right now about Martin Luther King Jr., you will be attacked as a liberal, as a Marxist, as a social justice warrior. And the reason given by many would be, listen, his theology was messed up and he was a womanizer. Now, that needs to be said. But you can't say that while you're wearing a Donald Trump shirt. We need to speak without bias. There's not one standard for one and another standard for another. It's just true. It's like everybody's so scared to say the whole truth because it might weaken their side's position. And I, you can expect that from the world. But, but, but from believers, we operate from a totally different place. We proclaim Him and we speak God's truth, the whole truth to every man with zero desire for partiality or self-protection. Because our hope is not in our political side winning. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, Christians can say, listen, it is wrong for police to use excessive force on suspects. It is wrong for black men to be treated differently than white men. And, with the same breath, we can say that it is wrong for you to respond to injustice by unjustly burning or looting businesses that had nothing to do with this. This world needs Christians who say and are living, living like, this is, this is so important for, for, for us to see these two things. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 is true. God created man. It's every human being in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Acts 17, he made from one man, some translations say from one blood. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. We Christians need to believe that. We need to live like that. And 
with the exact same breath, we need to say in our hearts, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't, I can't unpack this. But, but if you would see like these, these badly divergent places that people are going, it, it's, when, it's when one of these is embraced without the other also being embraced. All people are created in the image of God. All people have dignity and value because they bear the mark of the divine. And they are sinful. And in need of a savior. I can't put into words how important this is. Black lives really do matter. That is a rebuke that we need to hear. The whole world needs to hear this. Black lives matter. Every single person bears God's image. Black lives matter enough for everybody to care about them. Black lives matter enough for us to sit down and talk and work to understand each other. And, well, I'll just say this. It's it's as if some people have made the standard... Well, I don't hate black people. Or whoever. I'm just using that. But is that the standard? Is the standard of Christian love, I don't hate that person? We are commanded to love our neighbor. That's active. We are commanded when we see our neighbor in need to take action. To do something. Not just to not hate them. We are commanded. And I quote Micah 6.8. To do justice. But let's be very clear. That doesn't mean that Christians can swallow the Black Lives Matter movement. Go to the Black Lives Matter website, click on about, click on what we believe, and it will not take you very long to see we can embrace that. That movement needs to be rebuked. One thing that needs to be said is that if you love black lives, then stop aborting so many black babies. But, but we also need to hear, listen, we've got to care about black babies even after they're born. Look at what's happening on Facebook. It, it is a battle over whose life matters more. Black lives matter. People respond to that, no, police lives matter. But Christians say, all people really do matter. And all people are sinful at the same time. From, from, this un, from, this, from, from the position where we just want to please Christ. Like, we can say the police have a hard job. They work in high stress, chaotic environments. They often have to make split second decisions. They're often in fear of their lives. They need support. They need respect. And... If you give people the massive responsibility and authority of a badge and their, their role is to hold people accountable to keep the law, those people need to be held accountable to keep the law.
And we need to say, there is hope in Jesus for the thug. And there's hope in Jesus for the racist. There's hope in Jesus for the protester with the Black Lives Matter shirt on. And there is hope for the Confederate flag wearing counter protester. And there's hope for the suburban mom who just wishes all this could go away so she could get back to her life. And I don't really see what the big deal is. There is hope in Jesus. But, but we need to see that bias will blind us. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ, to speak the truth, admonish every man, because we want to see Jesus ruling and reigning over every man. I'm going to pick up the pace here. But we proclaim Him by admonishing every man and teaching every man. This is such a timely word. I don't, I don't have to convince you of this. Go home and spend an hour scrolling through Facebook or reading comments on just about any article. Go and read all these articles in the Christian blogosphere and you will find so much venom. It is rare that you find serious, deep dialogue. You're going to find people demonizing their opponents. It seems like everybody's just trying to land a blow to win an argument. And in that environment, isn't verse 28 incredibly refreshing? We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man. Do you remember the story... In, in Acts 18 of Apollos. Flip, flip over back a couple books to the book of Acts, to Acts 18. Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth... An eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Notice what verse 25 is saying. Here is a man of incredible zeal, had a lot of things right, he was an eloquent man. He knew the Bible, but his theology was off. His doctrine of baptism was wrong. Now here's my question. What would happen to Apollos in, in our modern Christian blogosphere? And the fact that he's eloquent... And he's getting a hearing. And he's mighty. That would make him more of a target. You know what people would do to him? But look at this. Look at verse 26. Look what this couple Priscilla and Aquila did. And when he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. And explain to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that fantastic? Like, it's good to be passionate about the truth. But if being passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If being passionate about the Prince of Peace. Makes us mean. 
and ungracious. And something's not right. See, that's when you know the gospel, but it's, it's, the implications of the gospel haven't taken root. Passion for the God of all grace ought to make us gracious and kind and make us go out of our way to understand the people that we're talking to and about. Think about the gospel that we proclaim. That God Almighty, in response to a world in absolute rebellion, high-handed rebellion against Him, responded, John 3.16 says, in love, in pity. And so that God didn't just didn't just speak words. Straighten up. He came down into our mess. He, he came not merely to listen, but to personally experience and to feel everything that we're going through. I hope, you're, I hope things are going together. Wait a minute. That's how, that's how we need to be doing. That's how white people and brown people and black people and rich people and poor people and men and women. That's how, we, need to, we need to seek to understand each other. Do you see how condescending it was for God himself to come even to be tempted in every single way as we are and yet to live without sin? Then, even though it was not his fault, to take absolute responsibility for all the sin of the world and to be punished for it. For him to suffer someone else's punishment. For him to suffer what other people deserved. Don't we need to hear that gospel today? And then the good news of the gospel that even death itself could not contain him, but he rose again from the dead. Even death couldn't beat him. Racism isn't going to beat him. And then he ascended to heaven where right now he's even interceding for us that right now Jesus himself is praying for you that these things would land on you so that we wouldn't merely hear these things but we would become doers of the word who care about people. I'm preaching this to myself. It is easy for me to believe the truth to say we need to love people but never take self-sacrificing action to actually do something. And because He did, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what t-shirts you've worn. It doesn't matter who you've killed. It doesn't matter who you've yelled racial slurs to. It doesn't matter what you've thought in your heart. It doesn't matter this morning how guilty you are. There is a Savior who has paid for all of your sin and is willing to wipe your slate as white as snow. And if you think that's good news, 
He goes a step further and he gives the gift of his goodness so that when you stand before God the Father, you stand with his record accounted to you. If that gospel lands, that gospel must humble us. If that gospel lands, you will care about people, even those who are different than you, even those who have hurt you. We want to teach that gospel to every man. And we want people to listen. Why don't you listen to me? If we don't love, people won't listen. I want them to listen. Look at verse 28. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. We need to know our Bible. We need to know and embrace the heart from which the Bible is spoken. In other words, we need wisdom in what we say, but we also need wisdom, especially this day and time. If you're on Facebook, if you're talking to people at work, we need wisdom in to know how to say what we're saying and when to say it. Proverbs 15, a man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. Right? The tongue of the wise, Proverbs 15, 2, makes knowledge acceptable. We need to admonish and teach with all wisdom and the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. I I sat down this week with two black men. One of those men I have loved and respected for many years. And the other I just met. I I just went to the barber shop and said, listen, I want to get a haircut, but I don't really need a haircut. What I really want to do is listen to you. I want you to, I want you to tell me, to tell me, tell me, how, just tell me how you're processing all of this. Tell me what you wish I knew. To, I, I'm the pastor of a church. What, what do you, what do you wish pastors knew in this area? What, what do you know that I don't know that I really need to know? I'll tell you, it's eye-opening. Here's what I learned. I learned I have a lot to learn. I learned there's more sides to the story. I learned that I've never experienced what at least those two men normally experience. Here's one thing I learned. That before I respond, I woke up this morning, first thing I saw on CNN was another shooting. I don't know all the details of the shooting. I know that a Wendy's is being burned down. Um... Here's what I learned. Before I get all my yeah buts together and create my rebuttal, maybe the best thing for me to do is obey the Bible and weep with those who weep. Look at verse 28. We proclaim Him, 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. There's our goal. Our goal is to present every man complete in Christ. Our goal is not to appease. Our goal is not to preserve life as we know it. Our goal is not to preserve our comfort. Our goal is not to win arguments. Our our goal is to win people to Christ. The question is, which people? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. This, This moment isn't ultimately about us. It's not about It's not about fixing America. It's not about making this a peaceful place to live. This is about Jesus Christ winning for himself a bride. From every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. So we proclaim Christ. Admonishing every man. And teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would search our hearts. I pray that you would find fear and biases. I pray that you would find even deep-seated racism that, that judges people before we know them. That gives one group the benefit of the doubt. Father, I pray you crucify. Crucify pride. God, I pray you make us a people who repent. Who hear the truth and bow to the truth. I pray we wouldn't fight against what we know is true, regardless of what the political implications are going to be. I pray that our desire would be to please Him. God, I pray that you would make, I pray you'd make me more bold with the gospel. That I would seek, that I would be able to say with Paul, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This, this purpose of presenting every man to Jesus Christ, complete in him. Father, we pray that you would heal our land. I pray that you would give us hearts of compassion. And love that walks and moves and does and helps and listens. Father, we pray that you would form Christ in us.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.